Everybody and welcome back to your favorite podcast about new metal. This is the POD cast episode 31. And it is well, it's legendary. It's a legendary album by a legendary band in new metal circles. I'm John Cullen, and with me is a man who loves to be aggressive. B-E-A-G-G-E. R nope R E S S I V E. We got to retake that. Fuck, I got mixed because I was just trying to decide halfway through if I was going to do the tune from the song, and then I and I it tripped myself up. B E A G G R E S S I V E. Brian Quinby. B egg. B B ag. B egg. I, w- I couldn't keep up with it. It's like I be told, I don't know aggressive. <laughs> be be aggressive. B e a g g r e s s i v e. Right, that's how I, it was going. I think. I don't know if I've ever told this on the show, but I can't hear like like something that goes on like that for. And it's weird because I listen to podcasts all day and shit. But you know, how you're spelling that word aggressive yeah. and i know that you're spelling aggressive right in my mind uh-huh. and like i cannot hear you spelling like it's just <laughs> my fucking yeah. brain just is like nope you don't need to take that information in and so i wouldn't have known if you spelled it wrong and the the first time this really hit me that i'm like i'm like that some people probably think it's ADD, but I just, I think I'm, I think it's just, I'm, I'm a weird dude is when my wife, uh, was in labor and we went to the hospital to, to, uh, you know, so she could have the baby and we mm-hmm. got up to the fucking counter and we were like, uh, Hey, she's pregnant. And the lady started saying like, Oh, fuck. It's like, you know, down that way, down around the corner, over here, follow this, go in the... And I was just like, as soon as she was done saying it, I looked at my wife and I was like, I hope you got that, man, because I got bored like I'm one gone. second in. Yeah. 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 It, re- it kind of reminds me of... Um, so I don't know if I've brought this up on the show before, but my brother-in-law is deaf. So I'm like semi-fluent in American Sign Language, but you... Like often there are like lots of words that don't have a sign. So you constantly like spell out the words and that makes you feel like the dumbest person alive because it takes your brain a second to recognize like, okay, that is the sign for the letter C. So in your mind, you're like, okay, C. And then it's like, okay, U. Okay, P. Okay, B, wait, what was the first letter again? And you get just get so like it's and he's sitting there like and he's spelling it out so slowly, like I'm in like grade one. And but it's like your brain doesn't think like that. Like if, if you asked me to spell a word, I would spell it way faster. But it's just like there's that disconnect between seeing the sign for the letter, putting like understanding that and then also spelling at the same time. It's like, God, I'm it, it makes you feel like the dumbest possible person alive. So, yeah. I was, I, yeah, I was kind of the same way. I was sort of 
uh, you know, earlier in my reading. Like I read, I started reading like kind of earlier in than a lot of the other students, and uh, I fucking would go nuts while somebody else was reading. Like I couldn't handle it, and uh, I just didn't listen at all. And uh, I was just. I mean, that's my way of saying I was a gifted kid. Uh, <laughs> I was too. Yeah, it came to re- it was. I was gifted at reading. Now, other than that, it was very right average down the middle the, yeah. through everything else. So tenuous at best. Otherwise, yeah. So my leg, my my uh, crotch is killing me right now because I I did a really heavy. I did leg day, John. You ever do leg day? Oh, yeah. I've done leg day. Yeah. I was doing fucking leg day, dude. And uh, uh, I did this machine where you could sort of put these things between your legs. Uh-huh. And then you have to close the legs with, yeah. like, weight on them. Yeah, I done And that. now that whole area of my body is in pain. And it's like the crotch area. It's like uh, uh, I'm actually my legs are in a lot of pain no matter what. I, I, I mean, the guy... It's- it's because it's because it's your groin, right? It's like you. That's what's probably that's why it hurts in your crotch because your groin goes like up and around your dick, basically. Yeah, I'm trying to have I'm trying to have strength there. Maybe it's a good place have to have to strength, like, man. Yeah, maybe makes your dick I, bigger. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, I don't know about that. It probably <laughs> actually doesn't do that. But but I mean, <laughs> I'm know. not working my dick out. You know, maybe you should be. I'll ask my trainer about that next week. <laughs> We're working on glutes all the time. My trainer is something else, John. He yeah. is something else. Yeah. You you but like one, him though, right? Yeah. I, I I think he's fine. But one of the things he said to me, uh uh, he found out that I do the podcast because I told him what I like do for street a like Street Fight or this podcast? Not this one. I try to keep this this one. That's why I'm talking about it. <laughs> this one's a secret. <laughs> so he found out that I do. The, well, he's like 22. Yeah, I don't you know how I it. would explain what this is to him. Yeah. You know, he, I just I would mean, be like, we review corn albums, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think like Linkin Park, right? That's probably the touchstone for kids that age. Possibly, possibly. He's a he's a weird dude. Though. He was like, uh, if me and my boys did a podcast, we'd be canceled by the first episode. <laughs> Who would say some out of pocket shit? You know how that is. And I was like, no, I've been doing. I've done a lot of episodes without getting canceled or saying something yeah. out of pocket. You you know what? To me, like to me, anyone who uses the phrase out of pocket is not a good person like no one no one says that you know what i mean like there's like there's no there there's no like wonderful person that's like oh i'm worried i'm gonna say something out of pocket like that's such a like that's such a skeezy that's such a skeezy man's thing to say like it's a man thing there aren't like not to gender it but there are not women who are like oh i hope i don't say something out of pocket like it's exclusively a dingy guy thing to say oh yeah yeah i mean i was talking to gwen about it today my daughter i'm sitting and talking to her and i'm like you know he said this uh he did also do this thing where 
I don't know what the moves called. I write. I call them moves. I call my exercises moves. <laughs> yeah, it's very. It's very like uh, you know martial arts. Martial arts yeah. of you. So I'll tell you what I wrote it down as. Oh, uh, are you a notebook guy at the gym? On my phone, yeah. I write oh, down everything wow. I do on my phone so wow. I know what's going on. Like you know that. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's because I have a trainer, and if I write down everything he tells me to do, I, I then remember it rather than... Yeah, yeah, no, that makes I'm sense. very not good at any of that. I just so. know there are guys who, like, who who are, you know, they're very fanatical about working out where they'll write down, you know, oh, did three sets of this today or whatever, and it was hard or, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I wrote, I write down everything, but one of the things I called, I said, well, there's the 50 pound barbell air hump thing, four <laughs> sets of 12. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, he, that's he a looks sick at, move. That's a sick move. The 50 pound barbell air hump thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. it is. You get a 50 pound, you get a barbell, you put 50 pounds on a fucking thing, you lay it across your, uh, really kind of close to your penis and he was so yeah. into telling me like don't let her all over your penis right yeah because that's a big personal trainer joke right you that's how you that's how you bro down with your client like oh you won't want to have this one hit you in the nuggies you know so, or whatever so he's got me i'm leaned up against a thing and i have this weight across me and i'm kind of thrusting up it's it's working i think my glutes he said sure and i go uh uh he goes uh i'm gonna show you one now and uh let me tell you never make eye contact with somebody when you're doing this one now i just wanted to be like i don't make eye contact with anybody like i don't even have to finish that sentence anymore i barely make eye contact with actual people when I'm not working out, but definitely at the gym, I don't make eye contact with anybody. No, so, like you wouldn't do, you wouldn't make eye contact with anyone no matter what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was fucking doing anything. Yeah, I, you're I, like, I'm you don't have to tell me, man. You're like in there with a blindfold on. He's like, hey, don't look at anybody. You're like, I'm not. Don't worry about it. I don't want anyone to see me. He also loves pointing at girls that he thinks is hot. Like he doesn't point at them, but he'll be like, she's my future wife. Like he'll look over at somebody and like, yes, all this stuff is like skeezy dude, like gross stuff. Yeah. It has been a really long time since I've been around a dude like that. So actually really enjoying it. If I'm being <laughs> honest, it's like, uh, it was, it was like, I got asked to, uh, this is going back before COVID, but a buddy on my softball team, he's like an older, you know, he's like probably 10 years older than me. So he's like in his late, late forties, early fifties. And he's, uh, and he's still like a good athlete. He plays softball and he has a hockey team. So we were like talking at softball. He's like, Oh yeah. If you ever want to spare for my hockey team, like come on out. And I was like, okay. And then I went out and uh, spared for this team. And I'm like in the dressing room for like one minute and like, two different guys have just like used the F slur like openly. And I'm like, where am I right now? Like what, <laughs> yeah. is, what? And like hockey is a very toxic sport, but it's like, and, and they're like making fun of, of each other by, you know, like calling each other names that you're like, that's what like 13 year olds call each other when they don't know what those words mean. Like it was just so I was like, what, what universe am I in? Like, it's been so yeah. long since I've been around people where it's just like, not even a second thought, just like, Oh yeah, that's, you know, this is what it is, you know? And I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it's I mean, so when I see 
so weird. Not to say that that's your personal trainer, but I get yeah. the like, I get that vibe of of like, yeah, when you when you're sort of a you know people like you when you're podcasters like you and me and you hang around guys who are like macho or whatever it's like a very weird vibe yeah also when i mean i i don't like to say this about myself but when you're you're funny and you know you hang out with funny people a lot like that's that's a lot of your circle and people that you talk to uh you don't realize how that's a very lucky position to be in. Oh, <laughs> you know, totally, totally. <laughs> Have I ever... You get outside of that and you start talking to people who want to be funny for you. You're like, oh, God, no, I don't like this. Get away. Don't do that. So when he's like saying if he said, a, you know, if he said something truly awful, I would I would be like, come on, man. But like he he doesn't say anything awful. He just says things that are kind of like points out that he does say awful things, but not when he's around me. And what am I supposed to do about that? You know, plus he could probably kick my ass. He's a lot. He's in a lot better shape than I am. He's a personal trainer and he's like 20 years younger than you. So yeah, I'm willing to bet he could kick your ass. No offense. It's just so weird to be around that macho shit. Cause you just, I just, I'm never around it anymore. Everybody is. I'm probably the most macho guy I know. And I am, <laughs> you know, not macho. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's like, um, I used to, and this is like, this is one of the strangest things like anyone has just outwardly ever said to me, but I, I used to know this guy from curling and it, yeah, like maybe I guess, 15 years older than me and we were talking about comedy you know and stuff and and he was like yeah you know when you're around me and and everybody like you make everybody laugh and and you know and you're obviously like a professional comedian and he's like I've always wanted to be like that but I've just like never been able to be that guy and I was like in on one hand I thought that that was like incredible self-awareness because usually yeah. the guys who aren't funny think they're funny and it's the worst for everybody or they, they want to be the funny person so bad. They're constantly making jokes and then you're, you know, so I thought that was a great, like what is, cause I don't have anything to say. What are you even supposed to say to that? But he's just like, I've always wanted to be like you, like just that you can just <laughs> effortlessly make people effortlessly make people laugh. Like I've always wanted to be that guy and I'm just not. And I'm like, cool. But then I got to know him more and he still just, it didn't stop him from trying. And it was like, okay, well, if you, if you know that you can't make people laugh, why are you so in pursuit of it? And, and so, yeah, you're right. Like that is definitely part of it too, where it's, it either goes one of two ways where they'll say things that are so unfunny and you're just like, Oh God, or you are being like genuinely funny. Like, you know what you're saying is funny, but they're not like online or they're like their sense of humor is just not the same. Yeah. So they're giving you nothing. And you're like, man, this is, I mean, I'm hitting you with some shit right now and you are acting like this is not funny. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like when I talk to yes. Stefan mostly. <laughs> <laughs> Stefan's very funny. I had Stefan on. I'm sorry. Yes, uh, I know. I got to listen to that still. And it was it was so funny because like Stefan uh, first Josiah was on, then Stefan was on, and Josiah even made a point to say, uh, 
Well, you only having ca- Canadian people on because you like to hear him say sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, I didn't even fucking think about that. But yes, I did. My first two guests were Canadian. <laughs> and then the f- fucking next guest, I'm like, I don't feel bad if I don't pick a Canadian now. Now it seems like I don't like all my other Canadian friends. True. You know? yeah. I'm feeling left uh, out. You you made me oh, watch uh, the Kirk Cameron Christmas vehicle saving Christmas. John, Stefan gets to nothing... come on and say, I'm sorry, a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stefan gets to come on. I can't, I'm trying to think of which uh, apologies we listened to. Oh, Billy Vanilli. You definitely no, did the... Josiah. I mean, I'm sure with Stefan, you would have done the Don Cherry one. The Don Cherry non-apology. Yeah, the non-apology. That yeah, that's a really good one. That motherfucker was just like, I mean, I would love to apologize if I did anything wrong. Like, he was, that was his move, was to be yeah. like, listen. I'm ready. I'm ready to apologize. <laughs> I, I, I apologize more than anyone if I do something wrong. But in this case, where I was blatantly racist on national television, I, I, see, no, I, actually, I see nothing to apologize for. It's funny because what I think he actually said was, oh, I I was about to apologize. Then all you people started yelling at me and I decided not to apologize. <laughs> that was like the general sentiment right. of what he said. And I couldn't remember exactly. Up. Oh, my God. That whole thing was oh, so, so funny, funny, man. So funny. The guy was like, I mean, I think it's interesting. Like. I think the only person in the United States that kind of has the same vibes is like the president because like we don't have, I don't, I can't think of like a big national sort of hero celebrity. That's kind of beloved by almost everybody. You know what I mean? Where like, he seemed for a time, Don Cherry was like a guy that was, you know, people generally liked him. Dude. They did a they did a fucking like uh, they, the CBC sponsored this whole thing back in the at the turn of the century where they're like, who's the greatest Canadian of all time? And Don Cherry beat like the guy who invented insulin and stuff like that. Like it was like fucking wild. Like he is. It's like beyond beloved. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I'm trying Don, to think of a single American. Don Cherry that- was seventh. Sorry. So th- the guy who invented insulin was fourth. But <laughs> but Don Cherry beat out Alexander Graham Bell, the guy who invented the fucking telephone. And he beat out Wayne Gretzky, who played the sport that Don Cherry just <laughs> talked about. Wayne Gretzky was 10 and Don Cherry was seven. It's like, what the fuck? It is wild. And then the, they did this crazy thing too, which this is of interest to you, Bri, where the, the they would do, they so they, they did like a, a show where they counted down sort of like 50 to 10, just in like short vignettes. And then every person in the top 10 got their own like episode of the TV show and they had an advocate. So that was like someone who, you know, was sort of like the narrator and spoke on their behalf on their episode. And Don Cherry's advocate was Bret Hart. (laughs) Oh my God, man. Oh, John, I might have to try to track this stuff down now yeah i'm I'll gonna see get if I a can... canadian lesson here i'm gonna get a oh Canada it is lesson. it's Don like when Cherry you had me watch wild. uh when you had me watch dragon's den now i'm like i want to see the greatest canadian <laughs> oh the, i don't i just it is so like i mean i'm just looking at the people that he beat and it is like unbelievable like <laughs> 
it's crazy. Like he beat Louis Riel, who's like one of the most famous like indigenous people ever. Romeo Dallaire, who's like Canada's greatest peacekeeper. Stephen Lewis, who won the f- like helped uh, uh, win the fight against AIDS. Like it just is so fucking funny that Don Cherry like destroyed these people. Like they're not even close. Although <laughs> you can tell the list was made in 2004 because Avril Lavigne is on the list. She's not. Number 40. <laughs> I mean, people do love her, though. Oh, yeah. Like, even I, so do I. Day. So do I. Her new album just came out. It's it's actually pretty good. But <laughs> yeah, yeah I it's just, like so funny to me. It's so odd for me to think that like, I mean, okay. So like Michael Jordan is universally sort of liked, you know, not, I mean, nobody's universally liked, but Michael Jordan is as close as you can get. You know, you maybe have Tiger Woods is another guy that for a period of time was like probably the biggest celebrity in the country. Uh, and, and you know, people didn't, there weren't a lot of people who were like, I fucking hate Tiger Woods, you know? But ath- athletes I mean, are, there were a certain group of white people, if you know <laughs> what I mean. True. But athletes were a totally, are a totally different kind of thing yeah. than like, a, a television personality, a uh, uh, radio host, an actor, uh, something like that. Like, I can't, I truly, it is so hard for me to, Howard Cosell. Maybe Howard Cosell. Yeah, maybe. That, but he's been dead for so long and we so don't long. even But yeah, he would, he would probably be up there. Yeah, because it's like, because the thing with an athlete is you don't have to talk. You don't just like, yes, you have to do these interviews or whatever, but like realistically, you can go your whole career without really saying anything. So people just are like, wow, what a great athlete must be a great person. I love him or her. Yeah. And also it's like, not even like they're judged on a very objective thing. Yeah. You know, they're like they're judged on their achievements in like numbers or what, like you can count what they do that's why it's so weird because like you know again with don cherry like i've i listened to a lot of don cherry for a few weeks because we did a show together about him yeah and uh super fun yeah and and I couldn't even like really understand what he was saying a lot of times. No, you can't. You couldn't. He would like <laughs> fuck up people's like we there's a very funny um comedian in Canada, Matt Wright, friend of mine, who who uh has a full comedy bit about this. So like he would famously like fuck up people's names all the time. And like so the coach of the Leafs at the time was Mike Babcock, and he called him Mike Dad Babclock. like and he's just and he's like taught like it's not a joke he's like and uh, and then you got that uh mike dad bab clock uh coach (laughs) of the leafs like it's like literally like you his brain cells would like melt on tv and people are like this guy's the best guy this guy no one says it like don no one says it like donny you know it's wild to me yeah it's just uh, so weird i i just i i i love the fact that like I I you know doing these apologies like like celebrity is such like a it's so weird when when they have to apologize some of them can be like so bad at it and so wrong and get it totally wrong some of them get it totally right more so now 
people right, get it right. totally right. But then I have found this other group of people who just don't have to do it. You know? Right. Like, I was so shocked when Joe Rogan apologized. Like, I would have never thought he would do something like that. But I'll say this. He was probably sitting in his house fucking being like, uh, why did I sign that Spotify contract? Like, I understand he has $100 million, but my guess is he could have more independently. <laughs> Yeah, Maybe not more, just, but enough. Yeah, wouldn't have to be the sort of flagship for a company or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, there's a certain amount of, uh, uh, I don't know, there's like a certain amount of freedom that I would think you would want to have to. Yeah, totally. Well, speaking of flagships, let's get into our album of the month. This is This is a different one for us, Bri, because... You know, on this show, we have pretty much exclusively reviewed new metal bands or at least bands that were influenced by new metal that grew out of new metal, um, you know, that have ties to it. Even if they're maybe a little more butt rocky, they're still kind of in and around the new metal scene. This is the first time that we've ever taken a look at a band solely because they are an influencer of new metal. And so we noticed over the course of 30 episodes that this was a band that came up a lot, that a lot of new metal artists say is a touchstone band for them that influenced their sound. Uh, and that band is Faith No More. And so this month we are reviewing Angel Dust by Faith No More. It is their fourth studio album and second with vocalist Mike Patton came out on June 8th, 1992 on Slash and Reprise Records. Uh, and it was uh, a massive hit. Uh, it sold over 2.5 million copies worldwide. It debuted at number 10 on the Billboard 200, uh, which is the highest uh, one of their uh, albums has ever been. It spawned five singles, Midlife Crisis, Land of Sunshine, A Small Victory, Everything's Ruined, and their cover of The Commodore's Easy. Uh, at the end of 1992, it was named the Album of the Year in seven different publications in seven different countries. Kerrang! in 2003 named it the most influential album of all time. Oh. Uh, well, Kerrang! is a rock magazine, but they named it the most influential album of all time. Uh, it did great chart numbers in a bunch of countries, peaked at number four in Australia, number eight in Germany, number 12 in Canada, peaked at number two in the UK, uh, a bunch of European countries that made the chart. It was top 100 at the year end of 1992 in Austria, Germany, Switzerland. It's certified gold in both the UK and the United States, an absolutely massive album. Uh, Brian, you know, you and I have brought up a little bit of our history with Faith No More on the show, but we'll get into yours first. What uh, before, you know, we get into the review or anything like that, what was your sort of general impression of Faith No More at the time? I mean, I assume in 1992, you weren't listening to Faith No More, but, you know, maybe when you were getting into corn and stuff, you were aware of them. What was your sort of general impression of Faith No More back in the 90s? Well, my brother had the real thing. That oh, okay, okay. Uh, he he fucking loved it. He he loved yeah. But it's so fucking weird though, because this album doesn't sound anything like that. I haven't listened to the whole album, but like the songs I know of from it, I'm like, man, this is like wildly different than that. Like, 
not wildly different. Like you I mean, mean Angel Dust is wildly different yes. than the real thing? Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. But I did see Faith No More live. I, I did see them in concert uh, with Limp Biscuit. I, I believe they were opening for Limp Biscuit, which is... No, no, they, they went on after. Because I left halfway through their set. Which would have meant that Limp Biscuit had already performed. <laughs> but um, yeah, man. Like, I don't know what my impression of them was. I think like part of me thought they were kind of corny, but that's because of the music I'm listening to. You know what? That's because of at the time when you listened to Epic. It that song's corny as fuck, man. It I mean, I don't I don't know if I like it. I almost went and listened to it today. Listened to Epic today just to be like, do I really hate this? Um, but like uh yeah, I just think I thought they were corny. I think I thought they weren't heavy enough. Now that we're talking about like in in my new metal years. Just right. not heavy enough for me. This is just not what I'm into. I'm not into like heavy music. I'm not into this kind of heavy metal. Uh, probably actually would have considered it without even really knowing what I was talking about. Alternative rock. Like this is like, what is this alternative music? Which I hated alternative music at the time. So right, which me and right. Mike Patton had that in common. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Faith No More is a weird one for me just because I'm so, so much younger where like I didn't even start getting into corn until 1998. I wasn't like fully like new metal pilled until probably 99 when Significant Other came out. Um, pardon me. So Faith No More was just n not like a popular band by then, you know, like album of the year came out. <laughs> pardon me, sorry, in 1997, then they don't release an album for almost 20 years after that. Um, so I feel like their moment was, had already kind of passed by the time I got into new metal. So they just sort of existed at the, as this like band that I knew about and I knew people who liked them. I think like, I think I had friends who, who, you know, like maybe more music savvy friends who would say that they were, you know, faith no more was really good and blah, blah, blah. But I never, I never connected the, like, I was just, it was, this was back in the day before file sharing and stuff too, where you'd have to go and buy a record. So like, no one was telling me like, Hey, you've got to go buy angel dust or you got to go buy the real thing or whatever. So I genuinely didn't really hear faith no more. I, I heard their name come up. It's an interesting band name. So it kind of sticks in your head, but I never listened to them. And then I remember, you know, I guess it would have been probably the early aughts at some point the first song I ever heard by faith no more was Epic. And I was just like, Oh, this, like, it just seemed like such a weird, I was, I was like, Oh, everyone has said like, Oh, there's such a huge band and they have all this respect and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, this is not a good song. Like this. And, and, and this was in my, this was in that phase where you'd listen to one song and you'd fully dismiss a band, you know, because you didn't have Spotify or Apple music where you go, okay, I'll, I'll you know, I'll listen to three or four songs and give this a, at least a decent shot. You know, you'd hear one song on the radio or much music or whatever and be like, okay, I'm done. I'm out on this. I don't, you know? And so, yeah, I heard Epic and I was just like, oh, faith no more sucks that I don't like this song. And I don't know why anyone likes them. And then I think, 
you know, you hear, and then as it kind of got more into this century, you just hear about how Faith No More is like so weird. And so, you know, on Twitter, kind of the only snippets you get are about how like their song titles are weird. Their lyrics are weird. They're weird, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I just feel like I've just have always kind of like completely written them off. And it was really only when we started doing this pod where all these bands just kept coming over and over again saying, oh, Faith No More was a huge influence, blah, 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 where you're like, oh, maybe there is something here. And so, yeah, that was kind of my history with it, where it would just was always a band that I never took all that seriously, even though all these bands that I love, love them. I, I do want to clarify something here. When you said, uh, when you said that it was... Kerrang called it most influential album of all time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, it, I, I, I kind of cut you off because you said in 2003 and that's actually an argument that I think can be made. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, in 2003, if, if the world ended on 2003, I mean, faith no more would be a very influential album. <laughs> Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, it was the, yeah, the 50 most influential albums of all time in 2003, which, yeah, like, because you think about it at that time, Corn and Limp, like, new metal's sort of over, but it's not, like, it's still around, you know, like, it's still, it's still there to be had and, and to be listened to. So, yeah, th- by that kind of, so here, I'll give you that th- these are their top 10 most influential albums of all time in May 2003. One, Faith No More, Angel Dust. Two, Nirvana, Nevermind. Three, Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath. Four, Metallica, Master of Puppets. Five, Green Day, Dookie. Six, Tool, Enema. Seven, Fugazi, Repeater. Eight, Alice in Chains, Dirt. Nine, Slayer, Rain and Blood. Ten, Sex Pistols, Nevermind the Bollocks. There are, I would say that that was shooting like 50, but I hate arguments about influential artists yeah well it's it's also to say like in 2003 how is an album that came out in 1994 dookie how (laughs) is that the most influential album of all time like who did green day even influence like some 41 and blink 182 and some pop punk like it's not like i don't know it just yeah to me when you have bands like uh black sabbath in the mix like to me that's that makes more sense and also like fugazi i don't think i mean fugazi weren't even that popular which i know it, something doesn't have to be popular to be influential but like mm. you know come on i don't know yeah, it just seems I strange mean- to me but then at the same time brian fars water and solutions is also somehow on this list so i mean that album i think influenced a lot of the the new metal bands on like the Deftones axis for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So like the, I think that that band water and solutions is sort of an album. That's like, you can hear that they were friends with a lot of the people for sure that were performing. Well, And, and just Jonah just showed there. up a lot, right? Like Jonah was yeah. like on unplugged versions of Deftone songs and incubus songs. And, you know, so yeah, that that was always around for sure. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, man. I I I think like most of those albums I'm not complaining about. I think it is a lot of influential album lists. First of all, it it is like a a statistic 
that doesn't make any sense to me unless you're like using fucking Lexus Nexus and looking up you know how many times have musicians said the name faith no more which again like we said we're doing this because they were super influential to everybody and when you listen to this you can hear it hear why and i think now that i've listened to them and i've read the articles about them i think i have like a way better understanding of what they were doing and who they were and i think i respect I think I respect it a lot more than some of some of some of the other bands, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, yeah, it's totally true. And I, I think it's interesting because, you know, even you listen to this record, uh, angel dust and you can hear like, so I, I thought it was really funny, like not funny, but I went back recently. Like, I think I might've even talked about this on the show. It was, this was maybe a couple of years ago. I went back and listened to like, um, tears for fears songs from the big chair. And it's like really interesting to listen to that. Cause it's like, it's almost like every individual song has like influenced a different, like synth pop band where you're like, you hear a song and you're like, Oh, okay. That's Fantagram. Oh, okay. That song is that, you know, like you kind of can go through it. And this is similar, like this record to me, it's like, I would hear a song and I'd be like, Oh, that's the, so that song is like incubus. That's the song that like incubus loved. Brandon Boyd probably said, would say this is his favorite faith. No more song. Oh, this is the song that influenced corn. Like it, you can like, you can kind of hear it as you're going through it where you're like, Oh, I see where each of these bands might've like taken a lot of their DNA from. Yeah. 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 You can, I mean, what's the word? Like the, uh, um, the the singing i think was the thing that shocked me because i i had heard the one kind of mike patton singing but i could definitely hear jonathan davis like he got he got a lot of his moves big from uh mike patton too you know there were even parts of the songs where it was like he wasn't scatting like jonathan davis but he was saying words in the way that like you can imagine that Jonathan Davis is such a dipshit that he would have <laughs> been like, uh, well, I can't think of any words, but, uh, I I'd like to make those noises with my mouth. <laughs> totally, totally. And I think like, you know, it was interesting, like reading about Patton, you know, a lot of people like he apparently has a six octave vocal range. Like he's a very accomplished singer. You can hear it at points, but then like at other points, he's just kind of like yelping or screaming or like, I, I think almost like purposely sounding bad where you're sort of like, okay, you know, you, I like, I think it's obvious in some moments where you're like, oh, this guy can wail. Like this guy's a, what a singer, you know, but then there are other times where it, it it's maybe not as obvious, you know, but you can definitely, and, and I think it's in some of those moments actually, where you're sort of like, oh, this is where John Davis lives or, you know, Chino lives. Or, I mean, I think for me, the one vocalist that very obviously was super influenced by Mike Patton uh, is Brandon Boyd from Incubus. I think they're like some like even just like melody lines on this record where you're almost like, Oh, the, like Brandon Boyd's almost like stealing this style. Exactly. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of funny too. Cause you would say that the two people that really 
talk about Faith No More being their their main influence or Limp Biscuit and Deftones. And I can't even really hear them in either one of those. No. I mean, you know, Limp Biscuit. the thing is, like, I mean, I'm beating around the bush here, but the bass in this album is so, so what was the influence? And Limp Biscuit doesn't even do that kind of thing. You know, they, they, their bass is more sort of seamlessly integrated into the song. Yeah, no, for sure. I was like looking at the so if you look at the um the the Wikipedia for Mike Patton, it, it talks about it and and we've obviously heard this come up a lot, but it says Patton has been cited as an influence by members of Coheed and Cambria, Deftones, Five Finger Death Punch, Hoobastank, Incubus, Kill Switch Engage, Corn, Limp Bizkit, Queens of the Stone Age, and System of a Down. And I mean, certainly all of the bands out of the, that list that we've covered, I absolutely hear his influence on a lot of those. And, and Limp Bizkit, it might even just be like, you know, Fred really liking Faith No More. And there are some kind of like rappy sort of sections in here where it you can maybe hear a little bit of like what Limp Biscuit was doing but yeah you're right like that to me doesn't sound like like hearing this the two bands that really stuck out for me were Incubus and Corn where I could clearly hear where they were getting some of these sounds from um but yeah the and I guess System of a Down too really um but yeah Limp Biscuit it's just you know Fred is also one of those guys who would say like, uh, describe Limp Bizkit's influences. Uh, okay. Uh, Faith No More, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, you know, uh, uh, Buddy, Buddy Holly, uh, you know, Johnny Cash, Black Sabbath, uh, and Corn. Those are our influences. (laughs) Like he would, he just says shit to say shit. Yeah, he's got a list that he thinks people will think are interesting. That's why Faith No More was all... I always saw it as... And, you know, I don't like this word, but this is basically the only way to say it, is I always saw that as virtue signaling. It's the same thing with The Cure. All these bands say they love The Cure. And uh, maybe they fucking do. But, like, a guy like Fred Durst doesn't seem like a guy that was listening to The Cure. No. To me. Yeah. And, like they they'll bring that kind of stuff up and it's always so weird to me because i'm trying to like i'm i don't i i never was going to listen to faith no more so luckily i did also like having me listen to this because i would have never listened to it because i was so close-minded to this i was so close-minded to faith no more for maybe even problems that had nothing to do with them uh i i think reading the articles today was the thing that really fucking hit me that i was like oh my god okay now i fucking get it because he he did used to like all these bands would say that they were influenced by his band and then he would be a dick about it and be like oh you know uh that's too bad or something or oh i'm sorry or make a joke about it but it's like I think he did that about all music. And I think that's kind of like a refreshing thing about him. It's like when you see a comedian that makes fun of other comedians, you know, where you're like, Oh, okay. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I mean, you're, you're putting it all out on the line, I guess. And I think that's the kind of guy Mike Patton is too. 
Well, I think too, there, there has to be at least an element of it. Cause you and I talked about this like a little bit today and, and some of our listeners brought it up too, you know, where, when we said we were putting this on the poll, the main reason was because so many of these bands cite faith no more as a huge influence on them. And that was like a big reason we did it. And then a lot of people were sort of like, yeah, like I don't really hear new metal and faith no more. This is definitely not a new metal record. Like you guys covering it maybe doesn't make as much sense as, as it should or whatever. And then I think you know, you and I have been privy to, you know, reading a lot of articles about new metal and, and hearing a lot of people's opinions about new metal. There also probably had to be a part of Mike Patton that didn't want to be associated with those bands, you know, because we've seen new metal bit like Deftones bend over backwards to be like, we're not a new metal band and we're, you know, blah, blah, <laughs> blah. And so you, you have to think like if, if you have this genre that a bunch of people are making fun of all the time and saying suck shit and blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, Oh, and all the bands say you're the band that started it all for them. Like that would probably piss you off. Like I'm sure. And especially if you're Mike Patton, who seems to be, you know, a sort of, as you indicated, Brian, maybe sort of a deliberately obtuse guy, you know, I could see him just being like, fuck you. I had nothing to do with corn. They're little bah, 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 bah. like, that's not me. Like, fuck you. I'm a, I sing in six octaves and what I do is genius freak on a leash. That's got nothing to do with me, man. Well, they kind of did the same thing with, with faith. No more that new metal did for like hip hop. It's like the most fucking, uh, uh, the most surface level kind of, Oh yeah. You know, we, we're kind of like a rap group because we rap like, 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 like it is like they took their influences and then you couldn't really hear like this. It was shocking how much I could hear, uh, uh, listening to this album today that, that was influential. And like, it's really cool to hear. I, I think like overall, I was actually really, I thought it was really cool to hear this because it, it shed a lot of light on a lot of stuff, but I think faith no more also became a band that band said, we're supposed to say there are influence. So there are influence. I just, I know they sold 1.5 million copies of the real thing or whatever, but they even said they sold 850,000 copies of this. So it went sort of markedly down from there this album was looked at as kind of a disappointment and then they never really hit the same highs again that they had before and uh it it was just like it, it was it was just it, they weren't a one hit wonder they were guys doing their thing and then they got picked up and it was this huge thing and then people were just like i don't need any more of this i think i'm done and then but like every band every person that was like into the album was like weirdly decided to start a heavy metal band which that is another part of it that's so weird to me this album is not metal it didn't even really get close to metal it it i don't know what it is this that's another thing this album doesn't sound like anything else like that is another thing i respect about it for sure. So just to, so yeah, the, the, this album outsold the real thing. It was King for a day, fool for a lifetime that re- where they started to really fall off commercially. This one sold 2.5 million, at least worldwide, maybe America, the real thing sold more. I don't know, but 
Um, this seems to be their best performing album from what I can see, but the, just to get back to your point about the, 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 what it sounds like, the, you know, what this actually sounds a lot like to me is meatloaf. I was yeah. like hearing a shit ton of bad out of hell in this Dan's giving me a look like I'm crazy, but I don't think I'm that crazy to I, me. This I is mean, like, this is very theatrical. It's like exactly what meatloaf was trying to do to me. This seems like, like obviously way different music. Okay. I'm not saying this sounds like a meatloaf record. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying. It sounds like is what meatloaf tried to do, which was make pop music the soundtrack to a musical. And this is like the same kind of thing. There's like, there's songs on here where you're like, this could be like, a, you know, like warped version of Lil Orphan Annie or something like, like there's just a lot of like, it, this to me struck me very much as like Mike Patton being a theater kid and being like, let's turn up the theatrical elements in our music and go wild, which I think is also what Meatloaf tried to do. And both him and Mike Patton sing in a similar register often. So for me, that's what it kind of sounded like. It was like metal inspired kind of by meatloaf. They would never say they were, but like, to me, it's sort of cut from that a similar cloth, I think. And I think it's also interesting because their guitarist, Jim Martin left the band after this record because he hated it because of the, the like more theatrical elements and everything. And in fact, he referred to it and this is his quote, not mine. He said this album sounded like gay disco. Uh, yeah. And that was his reason for leaving the band. So to me, that is probably what people would say about meatloaf too. Maybe not disco, but you know, gay pop or whatever. I mean, I guess that's all pop, but like, you know, uh, it just is one of those, like to me, uh, I, I really liked this a lot more than I thought I would but some of the songs are way too theatrical and over the top for me to like enjoy where it's just like this is there. There's a couple songs on here where I'm like, this is a song for no one. There's no one who is <laughs> like, this is my favorite song. Like RV. That is a song for no one. I, Let me look at my note for that. Dan actually. apparently likes this song. I mean, Dan, you can chime in. I know you love faith no more. So I like that song a lot. It's really? Supposed to be, well, it's supposed to be goofy and stupid, yeah. I know, but it's like, it's so goofy and stupid. Also like, kind of dark. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, but it just, I don't know. Especially, I think for me too, it's because the album's really starting to pick up steam. Like, it's like Land of Sunshine is like, okay. It's kind of like, bum, ba-dum, 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 to start the album. And then Caffeine and Midlife Crisis are both very good songs. And you can feel the engine start to purr. And then RV's like, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on right now? We were just starting to get a stew going here. My 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 note for RV is what the heck piano song sounds like it's about society sounds like Beetlejuice is singing <laughs> so exactly hey we got a live one here <laughs> <laughs> he sounded like fucking Beetlejuice he ripping off Beetlejuice this guy but yeah I also think that Mike Patton might be a little bit dumb. You know, you, oh, like, you think you think he might be a little bit dumb, but I, I think I, he I, might think he's really smart. You know, like I do also think credit that. for being really smart. Like people think that he's a genius. They'll say it. 
all over. I don't know. My I took like a lot of notes for this because I did not want to have to listen to it twice, partly because it's an hour. Problem. It is long. It's a long problem. album. Yeah. One hour album. Yeah. But like also because I do not like the lyrics of these songs. Any of them. Yeah. I mean, some of the, the lyrics sort of range from like deliberately off putting to stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like the range. It's like inoffensive, but stupid or like, or like, um, you know, incoherent on purpose to like deliberately offensive for almost no particular reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, so I like, what was the note? Every, everything I have is like, Hey, you know, this kind of rips a little bit. The music is really good, but then I hear a lyric and you know, that's my fault for listening to lyrics. I yeah, guess. I, because, I can get like, past that a little bit more than you can. I think. I know so many people that are like, the lyrics don't even really mean that much to me. But yeah, me, I'm like that all the way. When I hear lyrics like this album, it it feels like I'm in a room with the guy you were talking about earlier that thinks he's funny, <laughs> but isn't funny. Like, that's the vibe I get from, like, all the lyrics in this album and i don't i mean you know obviously that vibe is very funny at a comedy club when a guy goes on stage and thinks he's really fucking funny and then eats shit you know that rules but like it's not with music like i don't need that shit it's also sucks to be in a room with that guy like when it's just yeah. you and that guy and like I don't know. I don't have a lot. I, I'm really weird about like musicians trying to be funny. You know, I don't know even why I'm not like jealous or anything. I mean, I'm jealous that they have a bunch of money, but like, I'm not jealous that they're trying to be funny or they think they can. It's just that they never are. They never succeed. Like, an album like this, you're fucking men meaning to tell me that I'm supposed to turn on this fucking rock album and also get a good chuckle out of it. And this is also coming from a guy that likes Primus, but I don't know. I don't find Primus funny, and I think I'm just listening. Uh, he's a virtuoso on an instrument that I like the sound of, you know, right, so right. I'm like listening to this thing. To me, it's like it's it's sort of the same thing with like skits on rap albums. Like yes. I know that that's like a huge part of like hip hop's history or whatever. But it's like even if the skit is funny, which is like on hip hop albums, that's like a one in one hundred hit rate. Even if it's funny, it's funny once, and then yeah. it's just on the record for the rest of history. Like it just. I don't understand it. And I agree with you. And I, I think too, like, so I would describe myself as someone that doesn't care that much about the lyrics. Like if the lyrics fit the melody of the song and everything, like it doesn't matter to me, but when you're trying to listen to a song and then the lyrics out of nowhere are like, and then I sucker dick. And then we all fuck and everybody's jizzing <laughs> everywhere. Then it's like, okay, well now you have my attention. Like if the lyric was just like, we're all walking down the sidewalk and everybody's happy and the sun is shining. I probably wouldn't even hear it, you know, but it's like, he makes you pay attention to the lyrics that suck. It's very similar to system of a down. It's like a, that's a big system of a down influence. It's like, Hey, guess what? Our 
lyrics are going to suck so bad. We are going to force you to listen to them. You are going to be dragged into this with us. Yeah. And I just don't know where you get with funny songs. And, and I'll also clarify that, like, I haven't listened to Primus in a very long time. It's not something that I've even been kind of like I I haven't found the need to listen to it. So I might even like Primus. I might not even like them. I I probably listened to it like 15 years ago, the last time. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, uh, I just, I find it off putting to be funny. The only guy I ever thought was actually funny is, uh, Peter Steele. Uh, I think he's very, very funny. Like, uh, uh, there's, there's very funny typo negative songs, but he's also doing something like very specific and, uh, he's, he's kind of playing a character, but you're not really super sure if that's really him with Mike Patton. I've, I feel like I'm watching a guy put on an act. Even when I read the newspaper, the articles, like it all felt like he was doing an act. You know, yeah. and he's he's a lot younger than two, so yeah, I, we I, we got to give I him wonder. the benefit of the doubt for some of it, I guess. <laughs> some of it we don't, but some of it we might. Like, we'll get to the articles in a bit. I'm we're and we're not there yet, but there was like it, just because this is related, you know, like this is so this is from a Rolling Stone article in 1991, so before uh, Angel Dust came out. Uh, Patton, Borden, Gould, and Bottom have descended upon Kiwa Yen, a dimly lit Chinese restaurant in Midtown Manhattan with a clownish enthusiasm that belies their exhaustion. They have ruthlessly combed their menus for Chinese delicacies having names with goof value. An item called roast pork puff inexplicably sends them into peals of hysterical laughter, and they've ordered them all just to see what they look like. Which is like, that is like the the pinnacle of like a band that thinks they're funny what do you guys want to order i don't know what sounds funny let's just get that it you know what it reminds me of this is this is where because we've been pretty overly we've been positive a lot about this album i mean other than shitting on the lyrics right but uh i i i am getting the same vibes i got from west scantlin playing around on the fucking airport thing, right? The baggage carousel yes. at the airport, like getting He's riding the baggage carousel. Yeah. Yeah. Where, when we, when we, you know, read that article, we were kind of like, Oh, you know, I'm sure he thought that was like really funny, but it was annoying for everybody else involved. Like everybody yeah. else was like, Ah, oh, God, come on. Stop playing around on, on a goddamn baggage carousel and just leave, okay? Well, because I think part of it, too, is it seems like in some cases, like, again, we talk about people who want to be funny. It's like, I think it's a conscious decision to be like, oh, we're going to be the, like, cool rock star. Or we're going to be we're gonna be the sort of, like, rock star that's not like, hey, we want all green M&Ms and we want to just fuck models constantly and we want to have drug problems. You know, like, it seems like it's this conscious choice to be like, we're the sort of anti-rock star. We like to have fun. But the problem is, none of them are funny. 
So no. then it becomes this like, oh, now you're like the celebrity that is forcing people to laugh at them because they're famous, right? Like Wes Scantlin <laughs> rides the baggage carousel. I guarantee you his roadies were like, ha ha, Wes, you're the fucking man, dude. That's so funny, man. <laughs> you know, and deep down they're like, this is not funny at all. And I'm sure it's like the same thing with this Rolling Stone writer, right? Like he says, inexplicably, they're laughing because the thing was called roast pork puff. Like it's just, it's like the same kind of thing. It's like, I think it's a, it's, they're trying not to be a rock star, but they're being a type of rock star in the process. Right. And it's so not charming, that kind no, of thing. Totally. It's like, if you were in, like, sometimes I think guys like that should think about what it must be like for the other people in the room, you know, like, like those guys should have thought about maybe what is it like for people that don't know who faith no more are in this room right now? Like, <laughs> yeah. how do they feel about this whole thing? Because yeah. I'm sure if you're a faith, no more fan, you get, you're amped about it. I'm sitting in the Chinese restaurant with faith, no more. And they're making fun of all the dish names, you know? Yeah. But like, it's not, it's, it's not impressive to anybody else in the room, specifically, even like the waiter and, and the people cooking and stuff like that. It's just, it's all just like, not do dudes that are, are trying to bring everybody into their world and uh, making them miserable. You know, like everybody yeah. else in the room has to be miserable because this rock band decided to go out to eat at a Chinese food restaurant. Now they're ruining everyone's day. Totally. No, you, yeah, you're absolutely, <laughs> you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I, so let's talk a little bit about the music itself. Like, you know, we've touched on a few of the songs. Like for me, I so yeah, so I sort of thought RV was not good. Um, and then from really from smaller and smaller to a small victory, like that whole like six track run there um, is really good. Like I, I, I was like shocked. It was sort of like because I think RV was so jarring to me that like when I was listening to it for the first time, I was just like, okay, this song's pretty good. And then it would end and I'd be like, okay, what cracked out nonsense is going to be the next song. And then it would be good. And I was like, oh mm -hmm. shit. Okay. This has got some good stuff. Okay, cool. And then, I, but then same thing, it would end. And I'd be like, okay, what weirdo song is going to be that, you know? And so it, but it was really like really, really solid. And I mean, um, like some of the songs are really, really good. Like I think a small victory is really probably the best song on the record for me. Um, kindergarten. I really liked, I thought that was like, I mean, again, the lyrics are kind of stupid, but the, I loved the sort of playing around with like children sounding piano, uh, and building like stuff around that. I thought it was really interesting. And then they sort of have this um, alternate version of Faith No More that's really like uh, stompy. It's really like dun da dun da dun da dun, and then Crack Hitler and Jizzlobber are both that kind of version of Faith No More, and I don't care for that version of them. So, <laughs> so to me, the the sort of album goes down a little bit um, towards the end. Um, but then, and then, yeah, and then they end with like the midnight cowboy theme song reimagined for some reason, um, which doesn't do anything for me either. So for me, it it's really strong in the middle of the record. There's a lot of really, really good riffs. Um, the bass, uh, the bass and drums are really very good. I told you this too, Bri today when we were talking about it to me, the main influence for other new metal bands is the rhythm section. I don't think. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think a lot of new metal bands were, were taking the guitar or the piano on here and thinking like, this is how we want to build a song. But the rhythm section here is very, very much like that. Smaller and smaller in particular stood out to me as I'm like, oh, this is the rhythm section on every corn song. Like every corn song feel these sounds like the bass line in this song. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of fucking good songs on here. Yeah. And, and I think that when you say like that, they only picked up the rhythm section and that the guitar is maybe not the thing they're picking up that I do have a song on here that I, uh, uh, like, where is it at? There is a song on here. There are parts. Okay. So like, uh, I'm sorry, man. I'm I'm trying to find. I have my notes, and I'm like going okay. through them. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. This song, smaller and smaller, is a song where I said, uh, I think this music kind of rips, and it sounds like the piece. Like a lot of the guitar in it sounds like the piece before a breakdown in a yes. new metal song, right? Yeah. And like once it goes to the where it would go into the breakdown, they do a guitar solo in this album, which that is more with my current sensibilities than ever was back then. And if I had heard, that's one of the reasons why I think if I had heard this back then, I would have hated it because I didn't like guitar solos. Right. Like I didn't want my music to have any guitar solos in it unless unless it was Pantera, then it was okay. I almost sort of wonder too, if, some of the guitar solos is like placating uh, Jim Martin, you know, like I, cause it seems like he hated most of the music. It also seems like he's not really involved in the writing process at all. He only has a writing credit on two of these songs, kindergarten and crack Hitler. Um, and, and they talk about that in some of these interviews where they're straight up just like, yeah, he's not really involved in the songwriting. We either do like bass and drums or piano and bass or, whatever. And then he kind of comes in at the end. So like part of me wonders if that was like placating him a bit, just being like, yeah, you know what? You just do a guitar solo here. That's what you like to do anyway. And just like have fun with it. (laughs) Yeah. That, that might even be the thing. And the guitar is not very good on this album. I mean, it's serviceable. It doesn't stand out. It doesn't stand out. Yeah. But everything else is actually better than the guitar well the guitar is interesting to me too because on a lot of the songs the guitar is pretty clean too so you have this like pretty like crunchy bass and drums and then you'll have sort of like clean guitar over top of it which is like not typically what we would think of in in sort of like metal or or like new metal certainly not i guess in in metal somewhat but you know yeah it it just it it seems somewhat uh incongruent with like everything else Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah. Another song I really dug on here was, uh, well, Midlife Crisis is where I heard Jonathan Davis, the growl For sure. thing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I guess I'll just go to like the stuff that I really dug. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Midnight Cowboy theme from, I enjoyed the shit out of that song. Oh, really? I know yeah, it's just the like theme whatever. from Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. Uh, but easy is, really good like yeah, that really song good. i will listen to again for sure well it's also very surprising that you know you would think that if they were doing a cover especially of a song by the commodores that 
it would be like a gritty, weird version of it. And it's also, it's almost this like very faithful straight ahead cover of it, which is very odd to me and really showcases Mike Patton's like vocal range. I think. Yeah. I mean, that song is so fucking well done and, uh, uh, it fits at the end of the album. I like that. They, I like that. They did that. Like those last two songs, the, the theme from midnight, cowboy and easy like there was something about like ending the album on those notes that was going to appeal to me a lot more now because it's a lot more interesting maybe not a lot more interesting but it is an interesting way to end an album that just sounded like what i just listened to yeah no for sure i mean and i think too so with easy in particular that actually wasn't on the original album so that came out on a re-release of the album in 1993 um but i agree that it feels feels good and feels like a part of the album so but i think another crime i have here john is two songs that are pretty that i described as unremarkable okay okay which is that's the crime right we've always said being really bad is good yeah but being mediocre or like unremarkable that's the problem Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and uh just when i'm the two crack hitler and jizz lobber yeah so same as me songs that i yeah but it's like you couldn't fucking like is did they call him that to maybe get people to be like oh i like crack hitler because you get to say crack hitler or jizz lobber is that what it is where you name your two most sort of unremarkable and and songs that don't stand out at all that just kind of blend into the rest of the album in a way that they even might even be incomplete ideas and those are the songs with the with the most objectionable titles that might have even helped me like the album more if those two songs titles weren't on it. Like I know that song titles don't matter, but when I'm looking through a playlist and I see crack Hitler and jizz lobber, there's just almost no way I can't judge them on current sensibilities. I even said that earlier on Twitter, right? Is that I said, like when you review an album like this, you're you want to say like uh this is really good i can hear and and nothing else sounded like this when it came out totally nothing but but now a lot of stuff sounds like it and it's some of the worst shit in the world that sounds like it and it's hard for me to it's hard for me to figure out how to square myself with that cuz it's like man this just sounds like like generic butt rock but it's not that because they did it first before any of that shit happened. And I think that was something that I was reckoning with through the whole album. As I listened to it, it was like, man, it's not their fault. They influenced a bunch of bad shit. But now I'm listening to something that sounds like a bunch of bad shit. Oh, yeah. No, totally. And I mean, I think that that's part of it for sure. And like I said, I think that that goes back to... Um, it goes back to their sort of maybe rejecting the, the kind of like, Hey, you've influenced a bunch of new metal stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like that, that you had back in the day or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just to, we can start maybe digging into the articles a bit. 
like Jizlover was even like people were even like writing like writing articles about it like they like or sorry like it became a thing in in interviews so like uh this is from Hot Metal uh mid 1992 uh Chris Groves writing the article uh and it says or no, sorry, it says Chris Groves, but I guess that's maybe who pulled it because it says Jeremy Sheaf spoke with Mike Patton and Billy Gould, but still couldn't find out what a jizzlobber really is. That's like the lead of the article. Uh, and then it says, uh, so for example, when I asked what jizzlobber is, a song from their new opus, Angel Dust, is about, bass player Billy Gould replies, well, you know what jizz is, yes, and you know what the verb to lob is about, Yes, again. Well, put them both together. <laughs> I would say that I was really surprised that jizz was a thing when this album came out. <laughs> I think that was maybe the most. Not, I know people have been coming all throughout history, but I'm saying <laughs> using that, like, jizz as the metaphor for it. Yes, yeah, saying jizz. You, you, I don't know. I felt like that was a more modern word. So it's interesting that, like, you know, my parents probably said jizz. When they were growing up, like, oh, look at all that jizz all over the place. I don't know why they would be saying that, but <laughs> well, and then he goes, sex. he says, well, put them both together. And then the interviewer asks, is it written about any jizz lobbers that, you know, it's written about some porno star, but I don't remember his name. I'm not the porno expert in the group. Who is then after a pause for thought, the reply seems obvious, probably Patton. So we ask the front man the same question. Mike, what exactly is Jizzlobber really about? Well, it's about this fear I have of going to jail. Ah, okay. I know it's going to happen someday. I've been there once, but I have a feeling I'm going to go someday for a very long time. Oh, my God. That's the but young. He was young. He was fucking young. I'm going to let that slide, you know, Uh, because I might have said that back then. You know, right, like right. When, I, when I was his age, if like, you were oh, a rock man. star, you'd be like, I'm probably going yeah. to jail. I'd probably go to motherfucking jail, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I kind of like this little piece from the archive article. I don't know where it was from. It was just a link you sent me that said archive dot FC or something. It'll say it at the, it'll say it at the top. So there's two from the archives. There's the one I just referenced, which was hot metal 1992. And then the other one is bam, February, 1993, the power of negative thinking. So the hot metal one is, uh, it's just a thing to always keep in mind. Bodum suggests you don't have to spell everything out because people understand sarcasm. They understand where we're coming from without us hitting them over the head with it. And they kind of bring up like, yeah, these TV executives are so surprised that people like the Simpsons because they think it's too dark. And I think they were, I really think faith no more kind of saw themselves as the Simpsons is, is what I think that, like their sense of humor was that same kind of thing, but it's like, you guys are good musicians, man. Just play the play good music and sing about, I don't know. I don't like saying to sing about like serious stuff, but I mean, could I, this album would be a masterpiece if it was 10% more serious. How about that? Like, that's what I'm saying. Give it 10% more seriousness. And I'm calling this one of the best albums we've rec- we've interviewed, but for some reason, we've reviewed, but for some reason, it's just not serious, and it doesn't seem like anybody. 
I don't know. It just doesn't appeal to me because of the unseriousness of the whole thing. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think it like it kind of it's weird, too, because I think they would think it's very serious. Like, I, I think in Mike Patton's mind, this is all very serious. And you, you it, he's like, this is all in the pursuit of some sort of artistic something like I just think of this kind of there's this is from the the BAM article and there's just like a couple things here where you're like what like you can tell again he's like trying to be this sort of so they're talking about how how good their shows are Um, so it says he takes a seat and explains that the wound was occurred New Year's Eve at a San Francisco show with his other band Mr. Bungle that particular gig has already taken on a certain legendary status for during the course of his performance Patton spied a shoe that had been thrown on stage urinated in it and drank the contents the obvious question is why there's no why really he responds (sighs) well maybe there's a why but there's no because Oh my God. He explains that he's recently pinched a nerve and separated some ribs occupational hazard. He shrugs. Currently he's spending some additional downtime trying to recover from shin problems that are the result of his masochistic performances. Another obvious question. Is it worth it? No, it isn't worth it. Even if your back doesn't ache, you may as well get something out of it. He chuckles. If it has to be pain. Well, okay. Oh my God. Yeah. Some of that stuff, the shitting and pissing all over everything. I had a piece where it was like, Patton seems to leave his contortions on stage off stage. He's self-deprecating free of bravado, consistently forthcoming and seems to find most everything ridiculously amusing. One certainly hopes that impressionable youngsters don't follow his lead and take the swilling pee, but there seems to be a little likelihood of that. And his habit of depositing dung in unlikely places is far from charming after all some overworked underpaid soul has to clean that stuff up but there are far more heinous crimes i would lean into saying like there aren't that many more heinous crimes than like not shitting in a toilet you know what i mean than like shitting on stage i think uh there are there are not a ton of less heinous crimes john well, and then it's like, so, and then, yeah, again, it's like this whole kind of, Ooh, I'm a mysterious guy. I do these crazy shows. This is continuing almost right off from where you left off where he talks about how he bought this house and then the house just sounds like where an insane person would live. Like he's almost, it almost sounds like he's making it up, but I don't think he is where he's talked about how he bought the, he bought the house and he says, I don't want a fucking gold record. I just want somewhere to hide at least. But then he describes his dream home. There's been many legends to it. He explained the one that I've heard most commonly from building inspectors and the like is that it was a bomb assembly plant. It's all concrete. There are three separate compounds to it. The other legend is that it was a meat locker. That's a little more believable. After that, it was a laundromat and a toxic waste dump. Where I am, it's like a construction block. They're putting up all these new houses that were destroyed in the earthquake. Nice place to move, huh? I, of course, had to check that out and sign this huge waiver and all that. But I talked to the lady who was there when the quake hit, and I said, what happened? There's no cracks. There's no nothing. She said, yeah, this place was like being in a boat made of rock. She said the ground was like liquid. It was floating back and forth, but nothing fell and nothing budged. So he's like bought some like concrete bunker with his money and is like, yeah, hey, I live in this 
fucking wild building. Check me out. <laughs> yeah, he's going around telling people about it. You can tell because he, yeah, he talks about all of the different kind of uh, uh, rumors that people have about the house that he bought. So um, I do have this one. Uh, Patton's clearly given some thought to this to the point of developing a strategy for breaking into a new radio market. If we could get on Magic 61, he muses, referring to a Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett-dominated San Francisco radio station, Bill and I have been trying to contact them or have our management try to contact them to try to convince them that there's a younger generation out there that appreciates classic music. They need a new audience. Give us a T-shirt. Do anything. We'll do anything. And it's like... While I agree with him that they could have played easy on one of those stations, I mean, it would really just be kind of a prank because it's not like somebody who listens to Tony Bennett could buy Angel Dust after listening to Easy and be like, this fucking rules. Well, you could also just play easy. Like, you don't need to play Faith No More's easy. You can play the Commodore's easy just fine. You don't need... Yeah, it's very odd uh, how they seem to be. I don't know. Yeah, it seems the the tortured artist thing is very uh, prevalent. Um, like in that Rolling Stone article as well, they talk about how they leave the Chinese food place and they're trying to give away their extra food to homeless <sighs> people, and uh, uh, it's it's really rough to read. I mean, it, you know, the article was written in 1991, so whatever. Uh, but yeah. And then, uh, like this is, uh, so they've, they've tried to, they've given away some of their food. They've gone up to some people, blah, blah, blah. And then they go up to this guy and then it turns out that he's like not homeless. And then Patton says, I thought you were one of them. Mutters Patton. (laughs) Sorry. It takes 15 minutes to distribute the last of the food, namely because Patton, who argues that it should go to someone completely empty handed, starts disqualifying all the vagrants who are carrying shopping bags. Finally, a suitable recipient is found and the four head back to their hotel looking pleased with themselves. Bottom, however, can't resist a parting shot. Listen, he says conspiratorially, if you write about this, can you say we spit in the food first? <laughs> yeah, I And that's I mean, the that's end kind of, of the article. That's how Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's kind of funny though. That's a funny joke. I I understand like what he was doing with shitty, but saying at the end like can you say we spit in the food first is actually kind of self-aware and funny, I think. Um I do like this from the Rolling Stone article. And then people come up to you and say, hey, Axl Rose likes your record, says Patton. Yeah, says Borden. It's like, can Axl loan me 20 bucks? I mean, it's cool that those people gave quotes to help us out, but it doesn't change your life. They made up these posters in Europe, says Gould. It was so embarrassing, man. It was like Slash says Faith No More is fucking brilliant. And then he says, my bank account's still empty, and I just wanted to rip them down every time I saw them. I really liked that. And I also, the other thought I had reading the article was like, his contempt for art alt-rock like is what made me like him a little more and understand why he didn't like new metal either, where it was just a thing where he was just like, I just don't like what's like popular. I just don't think he likes what's popular. 
Really. Right. I don't right. I, I don't think it has anything to do with whatever the music is, although I can't imagine a guy like him liking new metal. So I, I believe he didn't. But he also didn't like like he, he was taking shots at Nirvana and stuff yes, like that in yes. this article, which was like he was like, I'm not down with this alternative thing, which he could have totally embraced. And probably his life would have been I mean, he would have sold more records. As for sure, on. for sure. I mean, yeah. they're obviously very talented. I'm sure they could have written, they could have written the alternative song that was that that made them pop off. It's over now, and uh, so is this review. So let's head to our tweet defense. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the show, this is how we review the album. So if someone were to tweet at us that Faith No More sucks or or Angel Dust sucks, it's how many tweets we would do in defense of this album. Uh, Brian, what was your score for this one? I think I'm going to give this a six. I'm going to go with six because it is, again, I don't want people to think I thought this was bad. I, I actually thought it was really good and really interesting. And I was glad that I listened to it, but like, there are just things that they did on this album that are things that I'm not a big fan of. Yeah, no, that's, I, I get that for sure. Um, yeah, I think for me, I would probably do, um, I, I'd probably go, let's say four. Um, just cause okay. again, I, I think pretty influential is a way that you could defend it. Um, I also think, yeah, I think there's some really good songs on it. Um, I, I will say, you know, I think a lot of people, especially, you know, getting a lot of the tweets from the listeners, people were saying, oh, you know, I'm worried that Brian and John are going to hate this and blah, blah, blah. And, um, I just didn't, um, yeah, I, I, I think both of us didn't really, we didn't hate it at all. No. So like, I think that's almost part of the tweet defense too is, and I think you and I both agreed with the listener. Like I, th- I was definitely going into this oh, thinking yeah. I was going to hate it. Like I thought I was going to hate it for sure. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was surprising in, in how much I enjoyed it. Um, I think it's a very, you know, it's a very good album. There's a lot of interesting elements to it because of the influence it had on other bands that you and I both love. And, um, Yeah. Yeah, good record. Fun yeah, record. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Good work. Faith no more. Uh, okay, before we get to the end of the show, I will tell you that you can donate to the show if you are a fan of it. You can do that at patreon.com slash the POD cast. Remember, that's cast with a K, like the band Corn. Uh, every month, you get three bonus episodes for $4. It's the best deal in podcasting. You get one full length bonus episode where we talk usually about a compilation album or, you know, an album that we maybe would never review on this show. Like that's what we did last month. We had Holiday Kirk on the show uh, to review episode two, Medicine Cake by Playmo, a French new metal band. It was really good and fun. And then this month, actually, we have a patron uh, patron exclusive live show coming up. Uh, Brian and I are going to be digging into the world of anime music videos with the Art and Labor podcast. That's going to be on March 21st uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. So uh, if you are a fan of Art and Labor, a fan of us, a fan of anime music videos, you can only get access to that show. It's on Zoom. You can only get access to it by being a patron. So check all that out at patreon.com slash the POD cast cast with a K. You can also follow us on Twitter at the POD underscore cast also with a K Brian. Uh, every month we do a challenge 
Uh, based on the record that we have reviewed, I will give you the results of last month's challenge. We did Drowning Pool Bodies. Uh, of course, Bodies was famously banned by Clear Channel in the wake of 9-11. And so we were doing uh, alternate lyrics Pardon me to help them avoid the clear channel ban. Your alternate lyrics were let the people suck and fuck, I believe was oh, the, yeah. right on. was the uh, which I don't know how that would help uh, get that song on the radio because sure. you're still saying suck and fuck. Mine was let the boobies hit the floor uh, because, you know, it, people love boobies and it sounds like bodies. Um, but you, you crushed me. You were, you were a big winner in that challenge. You won 60% to 40%. Uh, so that brings our overall record to 15 wins for me, 14 for you and one tie. So we're very close. Uh, this month's challenge, Brian, you came up with it so, uh, you can introduce it. Oh, I just, the song, there are all these like song titles on the album that we talked about, like jizz lobber and crack Hitler being the two main song titles on here um that are kind weird. of goofy and weird and not something we love so i just come up with a faith no more song title um so i came up with one in the spirit of jizz lobber uh crank hogger crank hogger nice yeah I like so that. it's like i'm cranking my hog but you know it's like less if people ask me what it means i'll say it's cranking your hog Pretty much. I like which is that. jacking off. <laughs> is it? Is that what they call it? Yep. That's jacking mm-hmm. off. Okay, cool. I like that. I, I like, uh, so I went in a different direction. They have some longer song titles, you know, smaller mm. and smaller. And on their, on, the, on their other records, uh, there's one they have like naked in front of the computer, I think is the name of one of the songs uh, or naked at the computer, I think it's called or something. And they've, you were they right like the first time. Okay, so they have these like uh, longer song titles. So I went with that. And I just, for some reason, as soon as you texted to me your idea for the challenge, the circus was in my mind. I don't know why I think of like the circus when I think of Faith No More. Uh, So my song title is Porno Penis at the Circus. That's good. That is good. And I'll say that that is a Faith No More song title too. (laughs) And the reason you hear circus is because they play organ. Yeah, it must here, be. Which yeah, is the best part of the album is the organ <laughs> and yeah. piano stuff. I love the organ and piano <laughs> stuff. Yeah, so I'm a big I'm a big fan of that. So yeah, so there we go. Porno penis at the circus and uh, crank hogger. I think both great song titles going to be a close challenge. Uh, You'll be able to vote on those on Twitter. So make sure you're following us. Uh, You you get to decide who wins that challenge. You also get to decide which album we listen to next month. This is the poll Uh, every month. If this is your first time listening to the show every month, Brian and I put two albums up each and then you the listener get to decide which album we review next month and that only happens on twitter so if you're not following us already do so the pod underscore cast with a k uh usually the polls go up around the middle of the month and they're up for two days so it's a chance for your voice to be heard brian which two albums are you putting up this body body part body part albums oh is what i went with is your theme okay yeah, Spine Shank, Strictly Diesel. Okay, we've uh, had that up a few times. Yeah, a long time ago. And uh, Mushroom yep. Head, X-I-I-I. Oh, so, I don't think I f- want to listen to Mushroom Head. Oh, that's too bad, man, because <laughs> I don't think it's going to win, but it would be fucking 
I mean, at the very least, it's a cruddy album that we get to make fun of. True, but we very do have true. to listen to it. That's where the problem comes. The in. one the thing hitch is you have to listen to it. The one thing going for that is we'll, is we will probably once again get to read the bio that's on their website. So that that's is my like favorite. All, that's like always a plus whenever you're covering mushroom bed. I think we've read that bio on three different episodes, and I would be more than happy to read it again. Uh, okay, this is going to be a weird poll. I'll tell you that right now because you put up what I would describe as two sort of like under the radar albums. And me too. I got one sort of off the wall pick here, but the first one, this is just based on, we covered one of their songs on a singles episode and I really liked it. And I would be intrigued as to how a, a whole album of it would go down. Uh, so I'm putting up uh, uh, Babylon by Skindred. Uh, right. And so we'll see if we uh, get a chance to listen to that entire record. And then I'm going off the I'm going off the board a little bit here, just because I thought Faith No More. It was fun to do. It was like you know, it's not necessarily a traditional new metal album. Maybe it'd be fun to do that two months in a row. I don't know. Um, but I am I'm putting up uh, Nerd in Search of uh, oh, because uh, they they famously uh, re-recorded the album with a backing band Spy Mob uh, after the initial album that was done all with synths and drum machines was not selling well. Uh, they uh, they famously re-recorded it with a heavy heavy backing music. And uh, it's one of my favorite albums. I, I used to really, really love it. So I think that could be an interesting one to investigate. So those are my Damn, two. We're gonna, Skindred we're gonna and Nerd. Get, we're going to get an off the beaten path episode next month. That's we kind are. of exciting. Any one of these bands is like something I wouldn't think we would cover. So it'll be really fun. That's going to be cool. That'll be a good I one. I love yeah. that Spine Shank album. I I I know that one and I love it. So I'm not a bit. I've ne I never got into Spine Shank. So I, I I know you love it. So it would be I I would be down to listen to that too. I'm always whenever you're excited about something, it gets me excited too. Um. Okay. Well. Uh. There you have it. Again, if you want to vote in the poll and vote on the challenge, follow us twitter.com/slash the pod underscore cast. If you want to donate to the show, you get three bonus episodes a month. We got a live show coming up March 21st. It's at Patreon dot com slash the pod cast uh thank you for listening you're all the best we love you we'll see you back here next month goodbye <laughs>